Tonight, after this, we're putting on temporary tattoos, but not the like colored ones you get as a kid. These are like, they look like a real tattoo and they last for like three weeks. Oh, I've been wanting to try those. What does it look like? Mine is a little Texas. So that was the one I wanted. So he got me that. And then he got me this other one. He was like, this made me think of you. And it's a little like cuddly bunny with these balloons tied around him. And he's like floating. (laughs) And the balloons have like hearts and rainbows and stars in them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what what do the people know about me? That I'm getting my dog's DNA and that I'm going to have a fluffy bunny. That you once got arrested for drugs. No. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's how rumors get started. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Today, we are diving right into part two of the pizza bomb, collar bomb heist. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, you should definitely listen to that episode first. You should definitely also go check out our Instagram account so you can reference the flow chart that I absolutely (laughs) annihilate in episode one. (laughs) And we'll probably have to do as well this go around. (laughs) Yeah, because this is really the episode where you're going to need it. I I love how when I was posting it, I sent you the picture that I was going to post and you're like, can we get like a straight on picture of it? And I was like, oh, no, I lost the paper. I don't have it anymore. Yeah. So you lost the the paper. (laughs) And then I lost my shit that you lost the paper. Like, that's those are archives. Like, you don't just throw away. Everything's digital now. Moga, everything's digital. What are you going to make me a scrapbook? Of our glory days? Maybe. Right. Maybe. And now that won't be in it. I don't know what else would be in it. Well, I'm not going to tell you because that's the best part. So I use the same sources for this part as last, really just an article in Wired by Rich Shapiro titled The Incredible True Story of the Collar Bomb Heist and the Netflix documentary Evil Genius, The True Story of America's Most Diabolical Bank Heist. I love that word. Heist. Diabolical. Oh, diabolical. Isn't it great? Mm -hmm. I love that word because anything described as diabolical, it's got to be good, right? It's got to be a good story. Yeah. Like anything that's diabolical means that you'll need a flowchart on like sticky note lined legal paper, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Look, that's what I had lying around. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have it available with you? I will pull it up now. A lot of the information on here, I, you know, there's no last names. You don't know if anyone's deceased. It's not in any particular order. But I've got it pulled it up. It is in a particular order. It is in a very no. particular order. I particulared that order particularly. Oh, okay. This reminds me of that, um, <laughs> I got a complicated order. Okay. All right. So I wanted Long to do complicated. a, uh, I want to do a recap super quickly for those that might have slept since they listened to part one. Because it is a complicated order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. On, <laughs> so on August 28th, 2003, in Erie, Pennsylvania, Brian Wells robbed a PNC bank for somewhere around $9,000, much less than the 250000 he was trying to get. He was arrested nearby shortly after the robbery, and police discovered he had a bomb locked around his neck. Brian told police that a group of black men had grabbed him while he'd been out on a pizza delivery, chained the bomb around his neck at gunpoint, and forced him to rob the bank. The bomb went off, killing Brian Wells before the bomb squad could even arrive. After his death, police found notes in his car detailing a scavenger hunt that he was to go on after he'd got the money that would lead him to all the keys and codes necessary to unlock that collar. Police did determine that there was no way that Brian Wells could have or would have had the time to complete the scavenger hunt before the bomb went off. Police discovered that Brian Wells had been out on a pizza delivery, like he said, He was supposed to be delivering pizzas to a transmission tower on the outskirts of town, and police found evidence that he had been there and that a scuffle had ensued, but the location told them little else. And I wanted to add here, because in part one, you asked me, like, well, how does a transmission tower have an address? And I told you that I I think they just gave him directions. Uh, I'm wrong. They The transmission tower does have an actual physical address. Who knew? Yeah, it is 8631 Peach Street. And if you look at the pictures that I posted on Instagram, you can see like a building by the tower. So I'm not sure. That's not the other guy's house? That That's no. not the same address as that guy's house? Rothstein? The, the transmission tower isn't next door to his house. It backs up to his backyard. He's got a lot of land. Uh-huh. And his land stretches all the way to the edge of this transmission tower. So it, it's not right next to the house. It's it's next to the land that, that the house is on. Yeah. I also have some beef real quick with the um, photo that we posted on the Instagram, the map of some of the heist locations. Because looking at this, Mamma Mia's Pizzeria and the distance to the TV tower and the Rothstein's house, like... Next time Jimmy John's tells me I'm outside of delivery location, that is so far. Like, this pizzeria is not close to these locations. You know, like, I read what this the hell? whole forum thread all about Jimmy John's delivery radius because nobody could figure out what their radius is because they do not make that, like, public knowledge. They don't say you have to live within a five-mile radius or anything. Somebody was like, no, I literally lived down the street on the corner. And they're like, sorry, 
you live too far. And it's like, what do I have They're to live in too far distance? for freaky fast? Yeah. Freaky yeah. fast. You got to be able to rollerblade there or that's it. <laughs> yeah. But either way, I mean, this Mamma Mia's pizzeria radius is large and girthy. <laughs> and okay, this makes sense of the TV tower in the house. Okay, so. Uh, all right. So there was an address. Got it. But the only thing that you didn't clarify from episode one that I'm still confused on is did the nine page letter say I need $250,000 or why is there only 9,000? Like, I don't understand the difference. Okay. I will be honest. I, when I was researching for that, I tried to do as much like fact checking and like Googling of this nine page letter as I could because in the documentary, this guy says most notes are really short and to the point, and this went on for nine pages. Okay, he said that in the documentary, but I have no other no other information about what the note actually said. If the girl was flipping through it, I'm sure not. I have no idea. But what is the two hundred fifty thousand so, dollar amount? Wait, what? What about it? The it they the number two hundred fifty thousand dollars where is that number mm-hmm. because he only got nine thousand so where did the, did the note say he needed to get two hundred fifty thousand they couldn't give him two hundred fifty thousand they didn't have it they didn't have access to like all the right. safes and stuff so she gave him what was in the till and that was and then he just walked less out than nine thousand dollars okay so you did clarify yeah. that but my question is like so he was just like okay I'm gonna take a lollipop and leave like I have a bomb around my neck you better figure out how to get me the other. 240,000. No, he didn't no. make a deal of it at all. Okay, he just then, walked out. That's weird to me. It is it's very weird to me too. And I always excused it as he thought that they could remotely detonate the bomb. Mhm. Well, did he not realize that they couldn't tell if he the difference between $9,000 and $250,000 or like, he didn't think it was real? I mean, did he not think the bomb was real? Then why rob the bank at all? Why not just go into the bank, say, hey, give me a bag, a money bag that I can like throw my keys in and maybe stuff it with some toilet paper in the bathroom and then walk out and try to find the keys. Yeah. If it was me, I would have walked in. I would have gotten my sucker from the little bowl and I would have said, hey, there's a bomb around my neck. I need you to call 911. But while you're doing that, pretend to take all of your time putting money in this bag. Like, that's what I would have done. I would have told them to yeah. stall and act like they were – it's going to take a long time to get $250,000. And meanwhile, call the police and get this thing off my neck. I guess the only reason why I wouldn't do that is if I had this scavenger hunt to go on to get – That's because you like scavenger hunts. Well, I I feel like I would have chosen to believe that they were telling me the truth. And once I believed that they were telling me the truth, that this scavenger hunt would get – the collar locked off of me that that's my course of action. I have to do this. And maybe I got 911 on the phone while I'm driving. But also maybe I don't go even into the bank in the first place. I don't know. I would be scared that it could go off. Yeah. I'd be terrified. Oh, God. I ugh. So a few days after Brian was murdered, his friend and co-worker Robert Panetti died from a drug overdose. Police thought the timing was suspicious, and they thought that their deaths might be connected. A little less than a month after the robbery, they got a call from a Mr. Bill Rothstein, who's, like we said, his pro- whose property backed up to the transmission tower. He said he had a dead body in his freezer, 
And that dead body turned out to be James Roden, the boyfriend of Miss Marjorie Deal Armstrong. And she's a basket Wilson, case. She is interesting. So Bill said that Marjorie told him that she'd shot James when they'd been arguing over money, and she called Bill to help her dispose of the body. Bill also had this super suspicious roommate, Floyd Stockton, who'd moved out of his house the day after the bank robbery, interesting timing, and had been hiding out from criminal rape charges. Wait, that was, let me check, let me check my Mm -hmm. chart. That was the, that was whose roommate? Bill's. It's on the flow chart. It says Bill's rapey roommate. Rapey? Rapey. Oh. So Marjorie eventually admitted to killing Rodin, saying it was because he'd been in her home and threatening to kill her and that he'd been doing that for 10 years. <sighs> but she insisted his death had nothing to do with Brian Wells. She pled guilty but mentally ill to his murder, and Bill took a plea deal for his part in the whole thing. In 2004, so like a year after the bank robbery, Bill passed away from lymphoma, but the FBI had already cleared him of having anything to do with the heist, and they decided that the deaths of James Roden and Brian Wells were not connected until they got a call from a state police officer who had spoken with Marjorie. Marjorie had written a letter to the state police trying to bargain with them to get time off her sentence. She was telling them about a guy named Ken Barnes. But her information was only a rumor, so the police weren't interested. So then Marjorie started bringing up other crimes she had information on, including the pizza bomber. The officer who spoke to Marjorie told the FBI that Rothstein's suicide note had been a complete lie when it said Roden's body in the freezer had nothing to do with the Wells case. Turns out, it had everything to do with the Wells case. Yeah, uh, somehow I'm not sure, but I would think so. (laughs) And that brings us to part two, the final part of our collar bomb heist story. The feds met with Marjorie, but she controlled the interview from the very start. She was very careful with her words, and she gave answers that were very limited and very shallow. She said she'd tell them everything she knew, but that she wanted something from them in return, a transfer from the state penitentiary she was at to a minimum security prison much closer to her home. That's not how this works, Marge. Except police did arrange the transfer for Marjorie. (laughs) That's exactly how it works. Okay. That's exactly how it works. They were expecting her to give them new information about the heist, but unfortunately, Marjorie seemed intent on keeping the secret. When she said she would tell investigators everything she knew, what she told them was that she was not involved in any way, but that she did know about it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) okay i'm gonna remember that next time i get accused of something i don't i'm not involved in any way but i do know every single thing that happened perhaps i know everything about it i wasn't involved with it (laughs) at all but she did drop one major bomb brian wells the pizza delivery guy that had been forced at gunpoint into a bomb around his neck was not an innocent victim he'd been in on the whole plan wait what? Also, you said dropped a bomb. That's a, a figurative bomb, not a literal Ooh, bomb. yikes. <sighs> yeah. They, she figuratively dropped the bomb <laughs> that Brian Wells had been in on the whole thing and that Bill Rothstein had been the mastermind behind it all. Nah, I'm not sold. 
but convince <laughs> me if you will. So she said the body was in the freezer because Bill Rothstein said he couldn't get him out of the freezer until he was done with his business project, which Marjorie is pretty sure he meant the heist by that. Mm. She says she just assumed Bill was the mastermind of the heist. She didn't really know for sure. She also said something else that stood out to investigators. She mentioned a blue Astro van at Bill Rothstein's house. The one from the street. Oh, she thought it was weird that he'd had the van towed away after the heist and hadn't had it towed back until after he was cleared as a suspect. I find that very interesting as well. Yeah. State Trooper Lamont King was sent the picture of the van, and he's positive that that was the van he saw that day when he was out on the scavenger hunt. The van he was certain had been a part of the whole scheme. But that van was only first seen at that, like, wooded little, that street, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they haven't, the van wasn't used in anything that we know of yet. No, but the way that the van, it went down this road that dead-ended. It didn't go anywhere. And it stopped and, like, like just sat there staring at them, like, the van Mm -hmm. facing them for a really long time. He just had this feeling because of the way that the van came down this road, sat there for a while, stared at the police, and then turned around and went back, that it had to have been a part of the hike. I mean, sure. Could it have been somebody that got lost and was sitting there Googling on their phone how to get – well, it couldn't have been. This was 2003. <laughs> so they did it's not have just a phone. Teenage kid learning to drive on a back road. Just kidding. I don't know. But yeah, I see what you're saying. After hearing that they missed this blue van, because the a- the ATF, the FBI, none of them, the state troop, nobody realized that Bill Rothstein had a blue Astro van because he yeah, didn't bring it back know. to his house until after he was cleared as a suspect. So they never saw it yeah, in his like, house. Isn't it registered to him? Like, don't you look at, like, what things are registered, owned, whatever? It's not like he sold it. No, he didn't sell it. So they missed it completely. After hearing that they missed this blue van, the ATF decided to start over completely and reread every single report from every single investigator from the whole heist. Yes. They rewatched a video from Bill Rothstein's garage and they saw a diagram on this piece of paper. So like, oh, is it this flow chart? (laughs) (laughs) It's quite like that flow chart, actually. But they had cameras there? He's got a dead body in his garage, and he has cameras? No, not his camp. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, okay. They, when they went to find the body, they filmed everything. They videotaped oh. every part of that garage, uh, the police. And when they were re-watching this video, they saw a piece of paper with a diagram drawn on it that had arrows on the diagram. And these arrows, the way that they were drawn, looked very similar to the arrows that were drawn on the bomb. <gasps> it was looking more and more like Bill Rothstein really had been in on the plan. But they weren't convinced that it had been all his idea. They were focused on Marjorie. Mm-hmm. Investigators had already begun to suspect Marjorie was the real mastermind. They had met with several informants, women who had been in prison with Marjorie, who said Marjorie had talked to them about the crime in detail. And one of them even kept meticulous notes of their conversation. She would, like, write down everything Marjorie was saying. (laughs) Her name was Kelly Michaela. And A, that's the best name I've ever heard. Yeah. And she turned all those notes into the police. Oh, my gosh. 
However, instead of handing the notes over to the FBI, the police stuffed them in a file folder called snitch notes and shoved them in a drawer. (laughs) That is not really what it said, but that's amazing. That is what it said. What? The file folder was called snitch notes. I'm immediately making an email (laughs) folder in my inbox for work that says that, and I'm going to file all kinds of things. (laughs) God, I love a good email folder. I can't wait. I'm literally doing that tomorrow. (laughs) I did not make that up. When they were finally turned over to the FBI, the agents could not believe the level of detail in these notes. The Those notes said that Marjorie killed Rodin because he was going to tell about the robbery. They said that Rothstein had built the collar bomb and that Floyd Stockton, Rothstein's roommate who'd been cleared by the FBI, you'd know that if you were looking at my flow chart. Oh, my God. Why, was, you want me to stare at that the whole time? <laughs> no, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Who are you running your mouth about? Floyd? Floyd Stockton. That he was okay. definitely involved in the heist. The notes included Brian Wells' name. And the quote, it's not like we didn't measure his neck for the collar. That's a good point. I mean, I guess I feel like necks are pretty like standard issue ish. My neck versus their neck. Like, it's not like I can like get out. Like, it may not be like super tight, but you have to have a you can't, you know. And I don't feel like, yes, I don't feel like if the if the collar was a bit loose. Yeah, that you'd be able to yeah, slip can't get out. out. Of it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did I miss why Floyd's thing says Bill's rape? Why it says rapey? Who did he rape? Did you already tell me that? Yeah, he's the one that was um, on the run from criminal rape charges after raping that disabled teenage girl in another state. He's awful. When did you say that? That was in part one. Oh. You were horrified. You were appropriately horrified. Don't worry. Okay, great. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. All right. Another cellmate said she was trying to make herself look crazy to the guards. She'd make statements that if the DA got too close, she'd just play the crazy card, which is exactly what she did. Though I do think she did have mental illnesses. But nearly every one of these jail informants said Marjorie had said she'd shot Rodin because he was going to uncover the pizza bomb plot and that now she wanted everyone dead that was involved in the investigation. FBI agent Jerry Clark that we've mentioned a few times, lead ATF agent Jason Wick that was in charge of this investigation, and Kelly McKayla, queen of the snitch notes. (laughs) God, queen of the snitch notes. How did she think she was going to do all that? Kill all those people. Well, I mean, she'd killed five boyfriends before, so yeah. I guess. And With all her different milkshake. ways. One was hung, one of a skeptical overdose, one of a head injury, one shot in the back, two shot. Because she shot her other boyfriend, too. Oh, man. Oh, God. So back during the rodent investigation, state police had removed all of the contents from Marjorie's house and put them into storage. And now that she was suspected of being in connection with the bank robbery, they started going through it all. And they found a clue. (gasps) They found an angry letter to a bank, furious that they had allowed her father to empty a safety deposit box that included her inheritance from her mom, or what she thought was her inheritance from her mom. How much is it? How much is it? I don't know. But what bank do you think it was? PNC. That bank was PNC Bank, the same bank that had been robbed. But the FBI got even more clues about Marjorie's involvement in the heist. A witness had called in to say that on the day of the robbery, he'd been driving down the highway. This is a crazy story. 
He had been driving down the highway not far from the bank that was being robbed while it was being robbed. And he saw this gold car driving full speed the wrong way on the side of the highway, speeding towards him. Okay. No one from the FBI or the police had ever reached out to speak to him about what he saw that day. And it took Geraldo Rivera getting involved. (laughs) And calling them all out on his show for them to finally reach out to this witness. Why does this keep happening? Like, in the Scott Peterson thing, all the, why are we just not talking to people that are like, I distinctly saw this very large piece of evidence. Like, why don't we well, call those people? It seems like there was too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Because you had state troopers involved, you had ATF involved, and you had the FBI involved. And they're all supposed to be working together. But it seems like... Certain people weren't as apt to share information with other people, mainly the police. The police would not share their stuff with the FBI. They would get it months later. And by then, I I just think they had so much to weed through that they just missed things. So Marjorie would only admit that she was on the highway. She didn't know why she was on the highway or where she was going. She only- Does she drive a gold car? Yeah. She said that that was her. But she didn't know why or where she was going. She only admitted to what the witness had actually seen her doing. All she knew was that it had nothing to do with the pizza bombing. And also, she was suing Geraldo and his show for accusing her of this crime. So. (laughs) One thing that wasn't mentioned already was the payphone. The payphone that the call, the pizza delivery call was made from was at this shell station. What? Somebody had called from a payphone at a shell station to make the request for the pizza delivery. And a witness saw this whole thing on America's Most Wanted, called the FBI and said that he was at the shell station where the payphone was. And he said he saw a large man in bib overalls at the payphone. And I'm sorry, Bill, but if you're going to be incognito, don't have like a style. You know, like a recognizable style. You're a giant in overalls with a woman next to him. I don't know that that would stand out to me, though. Do you think it would? Like, you're at a gas station and you see someone using a payphone, no matter, like, you would connect that with this bombing? A large man in bib overalls? Yeah, I think I would remember seeing a large man in bib overalls. Yeah, but would you connect it with this, though? This witness said that the reason that they stood out to him was because of the woman with the large overalled man, because he said that she turned and looked at him and they made eye contact. And he said that he would never forget her. And that was something that many of these witnesses repeated, like the guy that saw her driving. He said that they made eye contact and he would never forget her eyes Mm -hmm. and the way that she looked at him. And if you've seen that picture of Marjorie Deal Armstrong. I did see that picture, and it'll keep me up for a while, I think. Marjorie said she was there at the Shell Station meeting Bill. But it was about what they were going to do about James Roden's body. (laughs) And then she just went on and on and on about how incredibly smart she is and how she has the equivalent of five degrees. And she was at the top of her class in high school, even though she was actually 12th. Sorry, Marjorie. Did she go to college? Yeah, she has her master's degree in education. How she has all this money, so she's not a thief. But I don't think anyone thinks that this 
case was ever about the money. Not really. And definitely not entirely. It was not there, – there are just much easier ways to rob a bank if money is your goal. Yeah, I mean, you could have just robbed the bank minus the bomb. Right. And then also minus the scavenger hunt. You just – My favorite part of this is that Marjorie doesn't want to say that she has anything to do with the bombing. So her alibi is a murder. Like, we were talking <laughs> about this other dead body because I have nothing to do with this <laughs> – particular dead body that you guys are discussing we were talking about a separate dead body (laughs) that more disturbing we actually froze in a freezer for three weeks that's the death i don't know discussing is that more disturbing than locking a bomb around somebody's well no but like why are you keeping well the most disturbing thing for marjorie for me is is like what is it 100 pounds of butter that she has i mean that is like oh i think it was like 400 pounds of butter that's what's like really creeping me out Above yeah. all else, so. Where did she keep it? Was it all in her fridge? I just think that body was like slathered in butter and then wrapped in like tons of ice and frozen. No, the body was at Bill's house. The butter oh, was yeah. at Marjorie's. That's right. Maybe she has a weird thing because it's like Marjorie, Margarine. I don't know. But <gasps> I'm freaked out Ooh. by it. She's got like a kismet calling connection mm-hmm. to butter. So a state trooper brought another witness to the Fed's attention, someone else involved in all of these shenanigans, and this was a man named Kenneth Barnes. Oh, I saw him on my chart. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that I mentioned earlier that Marjorie knew rumors about. So Barnes used to be a television repairman, but now sold crack. Wait, say that again? <laughs> Barnes used to be a television repairman, but now sold crack. Okay, I did hear you the first time. I'm just confused. Yes. He was an old fishing buddy of Marjorie's, and they had a really long history together. And you know what they say? Two can keep a secret if one One of them them is is dead. dead. I do know that. Barnes had been going around talking all about the collar bomb heist and Brian Wells' murder, and his brother-in-law turned him in while Barnes was already in jail on drug charges. All the feds had to do was threaten him with more jail time for Barnes to sing like a canary and agree to a deal. A full account of the crime in exchange for a reduced sentence. So, as you will see on my flow chart, Barnes is connected to Marjorie mm-hmm. because they're fishing buddies. Which is weird. And then they found a link between Barnes and... And Brian Wells. I see that little stick. I see the little uh-huh. pin mark, but mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know what it is. Would have been nice if you would have read it's, the connections like on the little line just I, for next time. I did write the connections I'm, in the boxes. Yeah, but that doesn't tell I me. I wrote them in the boxes. But that doesn't tell me which one it is. Like if you write it in the box, this box is connected to four people. What stupid. are you talking about? I'm no. saying. What? No, that flowchart is plenty informative, and it tells you exactly why they're connected. Look, don't make me quit this podcast over your boo-boo flowchart. I'm saying it would have been no, helpful. No, everybody, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. No. All right. Start at Marjorie. You have to start, always start at Marjorie. Yeah, there's nothing in her box. Out. No, because she's the center. She's not connected to anybody. Everybody's connected to her. <laughs> that's what God, she would, why aren't you in my head that's what she why aren't like you in my brain too. she probably thinks everyone's <laughs> no, centered okay. around her I'm, 
definitely not going to leave this entire conversation in, but I must I must defend myself to you. All right. Marjorie is in the middle. Okay. okay. Line to Ken Barnes, Marge's fishing buddy. Okay. Slash friend. Got that. In parentheses, drug also dealer. Also drug dealer. Okay. okay. Line from Ken Barnes to Jessica Hoopsick, which is who we were talking going to talk about because the connection between Ken Barnes and Brian Wells is a sex worker named Jessica Hoopsick. It's a terrible oh, last oh, name. What does that say? Hoopsick. I know. Sex worker slash customer of Ken. Right. Connected to the line. But how is Jessica and Brian connected? Well, if you follow the line and look at Brian's box, it says client of Jessica's. Look at that. So Jessica is works. a client of Jessica's. Oh, Brian is a client no, of Jessica's. Brian would is a take client him. of Jessica's. Okay, just. Excellent flow chart. I did an <laughs> excellent job. Okay, we're going to continue. So um, they found this link between Brian, between uh, Ken Barnes and Brian Wells, which is this sex worker named Jessica Hoopsick. Brian Wells would drive Jessica to Ken Barnes's house to purchase drugs so she could buy drugs from him. Okay. Then he would have sex with her. Brian would have sex with Jessica on the second floor of Barnes's house. And then he would pay Jessica for the sex. And then she would go to Ken Barnes to buy the drugs. So it was like a one-stop shop for sex and drugs. The FBI searched for Jessica for a long time before they were finally able to locate her. They knew that she would have, well... They thought that she might have some really important information, especially into the question that was on everybody's mind, the extent of the involvement of Brian Wells in the heist. She probably have good stories. Was Yeah, probably so. Was he a, this victim that was lured to the site with a pizza delivery and then forced at gunpoint to wear the bomb? Or had he been in on the plan the whole time? But Jessica said she didn't know anything, and she refused to say any more. No, for real? really thought she was, like, the key thing, key person here. Maybe she is. Okay, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if I'm not making eye contact with you. <laughs> the FBI also conducted a search of Ken's house, and he's another hoarder times 10. Like, all, this whole cast of characters, massive hoarders, except Brian. He just was kind of messy. <laughs> they found computer stuff mixed with dog feces, this gross <gasps> mattress. They found a lot of magazines detailing how to build a bomb. And they found these two dogs named Peanut and Gizmo. So content warning here, the dogs do not make it. They were in such bad health from poor care that they had to be put down by the vet, which makes me hate Ken Barnes. So I needed to put that in there so that you see Ken Barnes is a douchebag. It wasn't the drugs or the sex worker or his relation to Marjorie that did it no. for you? Okay. Nope. Take care of your dogs. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ken Barnes denied his involvement in the heist, <laughs> but he did say that Marjorie had a motive to rob the bank. He said that Marjorie was furious when she discovered that her father had emptied out that safety deposit box full of what Marjorie says was supposed to be her inheritance from her mother. And then her father had just started giving it away to friends and neighbors. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. I know. So Marjorie asked Ken Barnes to kill her father for her. And she needed to rob the bank to get the money to pay him. Okay, that kind of makes sense. 
And this was not the first time that Ken told this story. Back in 2003, he reported to the police that Marjorie wanted to hire him as a hitman. But again, those tapes were never passed along to the FBI. Was that before or after the bomb heist? After. Oh. So he and like... they did not pass the... Yes. Okay. All of those people, <laughs> all of those people uh-huh. should be fired and never allowed mm-hmm. to work in law enforcement ever again in the end. I agree. And Ken said it was going to cost her a quarter of a million dollars because he's not a cheap hitman like Terry Harper from the cheerleader Aww, case. Oh, Trailer Terry. That was going <laughs> to do it for a couple grand. But he bucks. didn't. He turned her in. Be more like Trailer Terry. Well, he didn't kill her dad either, so. Uh, okay, but. He, look, I'm not standing up for Kim Barnes. He's garbage. He said that she told him that she'd give him all the details, like even the blueprint to her father's house. But. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but Marjorie was like, <laughs> please, I've killed two boyfriends. You think I'd have to hire Ken Barnes to kill my father or would I do it myself for free? Yes. I mean, No. But, like, yes, I'm glad that she's finally. What did you say the last episode you said? She's what, five? Five boyfriends she's killed. Five boyfriends, yeah. Well, she's personally killed two of them for sure James Roden and Robert Thomas. But her husband hit his head and died from a weird accident. Another boyfriend died from a skeptical overdose, and another one hung himself after they broke up. So it's just like weird deaths, but she for sure killed two of them. Yeah, her milkshake, bringing everyone to the graveyard. Graveyard. (laughs) I got it in. Her father said she'd always been a really good liar and that she would come around when she wanted something and that was all. He said that she didn't know the meaning of love. Hmm. Obviously. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Then, on December 9th, 2005, Barnes confessed to knowing the entire scheme. This was the breakthrough they'd been waiting for. He told the feds that, yes, indeed, the mastermind behind it all had been Marjorie. I knew it. 
He also told them that there had been a pre-robbery meeting the day before at Bill Rothstein's house. Like Ocean's Eleven. Like Ocean's Eleven, except... Mm, I love that movie. Trashier? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Is George Clooney at this? If not, then count me out. Uh, he's in Belize. And that present at this meeting was Bill, Marjorie, Floyd Stockton, the rapey roommate, Robert Panetti from Mamma Mia's Pizza, and Brian Wells. That's like everybody. That's everyone on your chart, basically. Except for Jesse. Yes. But did you not just hear the bomb I just dropped? Brian Wells was at this pre-robbery meeting. Yeah, I know that. But you can't keep saying you're dropping bombs when <laughs> we're talking about an actual bombing. Because then I am getting confused. Yeah, I knew from the beginning when the whole pizza Rhea situation that he was tied here. He's like a suicide bomber. You think? Or did he not think it was real? I don't know. I'm waiting for you to tell me. All right. Well, like I said, I got theories, but we'll discuss. Barnes didn't really know what role Panetti was meant to have, but Barnes said his role was supposed to be the lookout. James Roden was supposed to drive the getaway car, but Marjorie told Barnes that Roden had been sick with the flu. So Barnes moved from lookout to driver. He drove them all to the shell station. Bill made the pizza order. And then they all went to Bill's house and waited for Brian Wells at the tower site. Barnes said that Brian was standing around waiting to get paid for the pizza, and they were all eating the pizza around the cars when Stockton came out with the bomb. He said Brian looked terrified, like he knew something was wrong and he started to run. Barnes ran up to him and hit him, and Bill fired a gun into the air to get Brian to stop, and Bill and Marjorie held Brian Wells down as Stockton locked the bomb around his neck. Brian said, I don't want to do this, and Barnes didn't know at that point if Brian thought the bomb was real or fake. Er, wait. No. Mm. Okay. Hold your horses. Okay. Even the high ones. Mm. You're saying, okay, I heard everything you said. But you're saying that up until, okay, okay, so up until everyone gets at the little tower and everyone's having a pizza party, like fourth pizza party of this podcast, basically, then he's like sitting there having a slice of pepperoni and they just bring this bomb out and it's like the first time he's seeing the bomb, apparently, Brian. Nobody knows. But like, what did he, what, what was the point of the pizza part? Like, why would they call in a pizza delivery and he's at work as like an alibi? Like, why would yeah. that be part of it? Like, why wouldn't he just join the team and not be like, I'm going to be at work. You got to call me with a pizza. It uh, does seem a bit complicated, yeah, like, like complicating complicated. something that could have been simple when he could have just said, I was walking down the street and they jumped me. But I do think, yeah, to establish him and if he was involved. I don't know. I I keep going back and forth. I can make arguments for both sides. If he was involved, the call was to establish an alibi for him. So were the notes in the scavenger hunt. Ooh, I may come out of this episode and have no idea what's happening. I may come out of look, this. Because look, he, he was already on the scavenger hunt, right? He had robbed the bank. He was on the scavenger hunt. Why would he agree to, okay, I'm going to rob this bank for you guys. And then I've got this bomb on me, and I'm going to go 
look for the keys on this scavenger hunt. Like, no, leave me the keys at the McDonald's so I can unlock it off myself and get the hell out of here. Yeah. Or on the other side, if he thought it was fake, why is he going on the scavenger hunt? Like, what is happening? Because people were like. He thought it was fake. And he wanted the people at the bank to think it was real. So he's thinking he has this fake contraption on. He goes into the bank. He says, hey, I have this bomb on me. The police don't come near him because he has this bomb on him. And then he thinks he's going to be able to get away to his friends and then take this thing off. That's not even a real bomb. Like, it's literally just this neck thing. Also, why would it go around your neck and not just like a vest, but whatever. And so then you couldn't take it, it off. goes off. Right. But like, Okay, but he was on the scavenger hunt. He'd already gotten to the first clue. He'd gotten the first clue before police picked him up. So if he thought it was fake, why is he going on the scavenger hunt? I hate this case. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I hate this one. Because I really, I go back and forth because I'm like, no, he's obviously on it. He's at at this pre-planned meeting. Anyways, we we can continue later. So... (sighs) Ken Barnes is saying they put that guest T-shirt on over the bomb to cover it up. Somebody gave him the note and said he's supposed to hand it over and get his $250,000. Barnes said that Marjorie told Brian that if he got caught, he should just say a bunch of black guys held him down and put the bomb on him. And then she gave him the cane shotgun. Gun. So again, if he's under duress, if, if they're stripping this bomb on him, why wouldn't he just hold the gun up and say, take this bomb off me or I'm going to shoot all of you? There's four of them there. Shoot one of them and say, "Now somebody gets they this all bomb have off guns me. too. They've all they, those four fools are armed too. So he's got one gun, and they all have one. Maybe I don't think they all did. I know Bill did, but I don't think Marjorie or Ken did. But maybe are you Ken kidding? Does Marjorie looks like she's always packing heat. <laughs> like just when she goes into like McDonald's, she's like maybe so. You yeah, know, she's concealed carrying at Ross. <sighs> I don't know. I hate that we're like not able to just call Brian and be like, hey, so tell me about. I hate that as soon as that bomb didn't start beeping, he didn't just start throwing out names that he stuck to that story. That's another thing. He told police this story about the black men. If he's not in on it, why is he telling them that? And okay, I can make the argument that maybe he's not telling them that because he thinks that they can set off the bomb. He thinks they're watching him and listening and that they can remotely detonate the bomb. And so he's telling them what he's supposed to say, but I don't know. All right. So then Marjorie and Ken Barnes went and sat in the parking lot of a restaurant across the street and watched through binoculars, taking turns, passing the binoculars back and forth. And when she saw Brian walk out, she said, (laughs) looks like somebody just robbed a bank what a creep then when the cops came they took off and went to bill's house and they met up with bill switched cars and marjorie took off they think that she was heading towards the last site of the scavenger hunt and this is when this is when that witness saw her driving the wrong way Mm -hmm. down the freeway was everyone um, in her car? No. They switched mm-hmm. cars. Marjorie took off in her car, in the gold car. Ken saw the bomb go off on TV, and until that moment, he said he thought the bomb was fake. But he said that Marjorie and Bill made it real. Barnes ended up pleading guilty to conspiracy and weapons charges and was sentenced to 45 years behind bars with the hope that testifying against Marjorie would get him a reduced sentence. 
45. I I don't think it should be less, but I'm surprised about 45 for some reason. Well, a part of me thinks that they sentenced him to 45 years because he pled guilty. This was not like a trial. Mm-hmm. A part of me thinks that they sentenced him to 45 years so that they would have a lot of room to bargain with to get him to testify mm-hmm. yeah. against Marjorie. Right. On February 10th, 2006, Marjorie brought her attorney to a meeting with the federal agents. When the agents told her that they had plenty of evidence to bring an indictment against her, she went bananas. She started yelling, slamming her fist on the conference table, and cursing out the agents and her own lawyer. She was insistent that she had absolutely nothing to do with the collar bomb heist. Oh, give it up, sister. Look, (laughs) there's no way you don't have anything. You're in the middle of the flow chart. There's no You're, way. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I would like to uh, direct your attention to Exhibit A, a flowchart created by a podcaster 20 years after this heist. You'll notice Marjorie's in the middle of the flowchart. I rest yeah. my case. <laughs> if you wouldn't have thrown it away, that could have been the piece of evidence they're waiting on. <laughs> yeah. But Marjorie did continue to agree to speak to them. She even agreed to drive around Erie with them and show them where she was the day that Wells robbed the bank. They got her out of prison, got her a pretzel and a Diet Coke, and drove around. (laughs) Sounds like someone I know. (laughs) I would kill for a pretzel and a Diet Coke right now. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Pretzels and Diet Coke, that's the best combination. Like when you like have like pretzel and then you like do a little Mm. swig and I know. I feel that way about Cheez-Its and Dr. Pepper. But anyways. Oh, wow. I could see mm-hmm, that. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. During this drive, she admitted to being at several locations linked to the crime, but she told the agents she wouldn't say another word without receiving an immunity letter, which obviously <laughs> would not be happening. No. Nah. Cool. She said Bill did all of this to frame her, and she doesn't know a damn thing about the Brian Wells case. She said she'd have no interest in robbing a bank. Marjorie was always talking about how much money she had and referred to herself as rich on multiple occasions, but they also said that she was on government assistance. So. And living amongst, like, complete filth. Yes. She always said that one of the biggest proofs of her innocence is that she had plenty of money, that she doesn't need it. She had money from her parents, which... No, because her dad stole her inheritance. She had money from the lawsuits, which was like 175000 That's the only lawsuit I know about. And from government aid, which must be for her disability, which is a mental illness. But she hasn't had a job. Like, she's never. Well, if being rich meant you weren't a criminal, I think that we'd have bigger problems in, in the United States of America. <laughs> like. Well, and I mean, Winona Ryder obviously didn't need to be, like, stealing clothes from a department store, <laughs> yeah, um, but she did, right? You know, you, you're acting out, Marjorie. It's called acting out. Marjorie's finances to me are one of the biggest mysteries in this entire <sighs> case. Really, not it's not the butter. No, the butter doesn't confuse me as much as her finances. <laughs> oh, the butter not really moving the needle for you. It's fine. But she said that Ken Barnes and Bill Rothstein would do anything for money. Marjorie had told friends that Bill asked to borrow money from her and got angry when she wouldn't lend it to him. She said the same thing about Ken Barnes, that they'd had a dispute over money she owed him and she refused to pay him. So Ken 
actually got people to break into her house and rob her. Like, he actually did this. It's not just a a story she's telling. They stole $100,000 from her. No one was ever charged for this, even though Ken Barnes confessed to the crime, Um, which is wild to me. Yeah. And they're like buds. Yeah, they're all fishing buddies. I know. That's like an unbreakable bond. She all... You would think so, right? She also said that Bill had wanted her to break things off with Rodin and marry him. She said Bill was a flop at everything he ever did, and he'd been getting his Cheerios off all the attention from this before he died. (gasps) She said he'd been bragging about being able to build bombs forever, and that's one reason she broke off the engagement with him, because she didn't want to be married to a bomb builder. She a floozy. But then... She slipped up. She said Rothstein had asked her for two kitchen timers and that she'd given them to him. The fact that there were two timers in the bomb had never been released to or by the media. Well, thank goodness, because typically they're just spilling all the tea (laughs) and then everyone knows everything and then it's a hot mess. Yeah, it actually seems that despite all of the agencies involved here, they kept a pretty tight ship. So it was really significant that she'd said that. And she said, that's it. I've put my head in the lion's mouth and I'm done. And she stopped the interview because she realized what she'd said. But I mean, if he really asked her, then that could have been. So. Like maybe she knew there was two because he literally asked her and she didn't know what he was using them for, you know? I mean, I'm not defending her. I'm just saying. <laughs> I thought about that, too. I'm like, it's not a smoking gun. You know, right. it's not like complete proof that she was in on it. Yeah. But it is proof, I think, that she knows a lot more than she's saying she knows. Yeah, for sure. So then, this really makes me so mad. Investigators went to confront Floyd Stockton, Bill's rapey roommate, who was still in prison where he belongs. But his attorney got him this amazing deal. They got him total immunity to testify against Marjorie. Ken Barnes is over here with 45 years. Floyd Stockton, the rapist who also put the collar on Brian. Like the physical like place. Yeah, because Bill and Marjorie are holding Brian down. Floyd is putting the collar on him. He gets total immunity, doesn't serve a day in jail over this whole thing. It makes me really mad. And I I get that they needed his testimony, but they also needed Barnes's. Yeah. So I just don't, I don't understand how. how. I feel like you can also get a testimony without total immunity. Like there's some in between there. Right. Right. Like, is there, yes. Is there somewhere in the middle between total immunity and 45 years? Yeah. So in 2007, three and a half years after the robbery, Floyd Stockton also confessed. He said that Bill had asked him to make a couple of pieces for the collar bomb, but they didn't work right. So Bill took over and he said Marjorie was there and that Bill had ordered him to place the device around Brian Wells neck. And he said he could see the fear in Wells eyes. He said after he put the bomb on Wells, he wanted to get out of there as fast as he could, and he started running away. And he said he was running all zigzagged because he was afraid that he was going to be shot in the back. Oh, so I was like, if there's an FYI. alligator, you should also do that <laughs> if there's an alligator. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think there's is like- the most likely scenario? Alligator or bullet? 
Well, since this is in Pennsylvania, I would say bullet. But if this was anywhere else, it could be 50-50. In Louisiana, I mean, it's a real toss-up Right. There. I would say in Louisiana, it's two alligators and one sawed-off shotgun simultaneously. <laughs> Both would be much more likely than neither. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Floyd Stockton, he's thinking, you know what? Like, I... I'm trying to get out of there. I'm a convicted child abuser. I could get shot in the back here and no one would even care. And to that, I say, yep. Jason <laughs> Jason Wick, no the ATF agent, was upset that they couldn't charge Stockton with anything, because me too. But he did agree that out of all of them, Stockton was the least culpable, so the immunity deal was maybe worth it. Except Stockton actually put the bomb on Wells and Ken Barnes just drove the car. So if anyone should be walking away with full yeah. immunity, it's cocaine Ken, the crack dealer, not disabled child abuser slash rapist Floyd Stockton. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish you would have labeled him that on my Floyd. Um, that is actually his nickname. I didn't mention that. I did. <laughs> well, you but just there did. were still so many questions. They still didn't know who actually put this in motion. Barnes and Stockton didn't know who wrote the notes, who built the bomb, or the cane gun. No one knew who came up with the plan in the first place. Neither of them could say the actual role of Robert Panetti, Brian's co-worker from the pizza shop, that died of an overdose three days later. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was never cleared up. They also said that Brian Wells was in on it and that he'd been at this pre-robbery meeting the day before, but they couldn't say how or when he had been recruited. And the FBI says that the mastermind might have compartmentalized everyone, kept everyone separate so that no one would know the full scope of it. But they were all co-conspirators on this. FBI agent Jerry Clark thinks it started out as just a way to make some money, but it became almost a game to them, a diabolical, maniacal game to show how much smarter they were than everyone else. Well, yeah, because the scavenger hunt. I mean, it it went from a robbery to like a, um, a game. A, yeah, and a game for somebody's life. Yeah. Master. In July 2007, nearly four years after Wells' death by collar bomb had traumatized all of America watching the news that afternoon, U.S. Attorney Mary Beth Buchanan held a press conference to announce the investigation was over. She said that Marjorie had been the ringleader in this crime and that she and Barnes were charged with carrying it out. She said Rothstein and Wells had been co-conspirators. This information came about after more than a thousand interviews over almost four years, and the indictment said that Wells was in on this scheme from the beginning. Mm. He had agreed to rob the bank wearing what he thought was a fake bomb. He was told the scavenger hunt wasn't real. It was just to throw the cops off. So if he was caught, he could show them the instructions as evidence that he had done it all under duress. But Wells was double-crossed. The bomb they put on him was real, and it had been rigged so that any attempt to remove it would set it off. There had been no way that Wells was getting out of it alive. Wait, this is all making sense to me. Is this the truth? This is the indictment, what it's saying. Yes. Wells's family was completely stunned at the news that he'd been in on it from the beginning, and his family started heckling the U.S. attorney as she was giving this press conference. His sister kept screaming that she was a liar. 
In the end, Wells wasn't charged, but he was listed as an unindicted co-conspirator, and they did have evidence that he was at that pre-robbery meeting. Besides Stockton and Barnes both saying that he was there, another witness said they saw him pull out of Bill Rothstein's driveway and almost hit him. The witness had to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting him. And that's why he remembers. You can charge someone, what's it called, posthumously? Whatever. Yeah, you can, Mm -hmm. like, you could have charged him even though he was Mm -hmm. dead. I guess just, like, have a record. Yeah. Hmm. Brian's family is insistent that he was not involved in this in any way, and his brother said he can't believe they're going to frame Brian for his own murder. The problem with it is that if Brian Wells was involved, if if it's determined that he was involved, they can't bring murder charges against anyone. So all of these co-conspirators mm. that are still alive, Marjorie Ken Barnes, Floyd Stockton, it's in everyone's best interest to make it seem like Brian was in on it from the beginning. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I think. I don't know what – I don't yeah. know. And I have some more information for you, too. So it took a while for Marjorie to be deemed competent enough to stand trial. And by the time that she was, she'd been diagnosed with glandular <laughs> cancer – I'm sorry. By whose standards? <laughs> a judge. Oh. By the time she was, she... A lot less judgy than me. She'd been diagnosed with glandular cancer and given three to seven years to live. But prosecutors pressed on. The FBI was really hoping Marjorie would take a plea deal because she was right about one thing that she kept screaming about. There was absolutely no physical evidence tying her to this crime at all. Floyd Stockton, the guy who got full immunity for his confession, didn't even testify because he needed heart surgery. So he just got away with it for doing nothing. This is wild. Ken Barnes was the star witness. He got up on the stand and told all about how Marjorie had come up with the plan and then recruited a few people to help her carry it out. Rothstein had come aboard and then Wells, who had who was promised a cut of the money that he needed badly due to his relationship with a sex worker who he paid in crack. And crack ain't cheap. He got into debt with his dealers, and he desperately needed money. I thought crack was very cheap. You try having a crack habit and afford it. Very expensive habit. I don't know. Have you been going to Starbucks every day this week? Because my drink is $5.70. Oh, a day. I've got to quit talking about bad habits. So are you saying, I'm sorry, are you saying that Starbucks is your crack? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, is it not yours? Starbucks? God, no. I don't know. I can't stand Starbucks. I don't drink coffee, though. I don't drink coffee there. I get the refreshers, like fruity drink. Okay, moving on. All right, moving on. Moving on for real. So Brian took the pizza to the TV transmission tower, and then it wasn't until there then this is all Ken Barnes's story that he's testifying to at court. So Ken Barnes says that Brian took the pizza out to the TV transmission tower, and it wasn't until he got there that he realized he'd been double-crossed and that the bomb was real. So he tried to run away, but he was tackled, and the bomb was locked around his neck at gunpoint. I wonder how he got to be the lucky winner. Brian? You know. Yeah, like, why not Ken or why, you know. Like, why was he the one well, that would be the... Well, there is a theory about that. 
So while Barnes was up there testifying, Margie, and it's not even a theory, it's like what somebody said, but we'll get into it. While Barnes was up there testifying, Marjorie was angrily whispering to her attorney and just shouting liar at Barnes in the courtroom. <laughs> Barnes got 23 years off his sentence for his testimony. So more than half. I mean, okay. Which I think is appropriate, honestly, for his his part in it. I mean, I think they should all be locked up forever, but it's fine. I don't think they should all be locked up forever. I don't think – I think very few people should spend the rest of their lives in jail. I do wish that no. we had some, like, better reform systems. So, like, get get Ken Barnes a job so he doesn't have to be cocaine Ken anymore, you know? Should be crack Ken. I mean, it, it, don't make yourself seem more superior, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call it what it is. There were also witnesses that testified to seeing Marjorie at the various heist locations and the inmates who said Marjorie had confessed behind bars. Jessica Hoopsick, the sex worker that connected Brian Wells to Ken Barnes, she testified that one night while she was on Barnes's porch, she overheard a conversation about a bank robbery and that a woman was there, but that she couldn't identify who it was. Mm. During the trial... Marjorie's behavior was really interesting to watch. She'd act out at certain points, but she knew just how far to take it before she would get in trouble with the judge. Mm -hmm. At lunch break, she'd swivel around in her chair and like talk to people in the crowd. And then finally, on the eighth day of the trial, Marjorie got up on the witness stand to tell her story. And I know you're my true crime newbie, so you might not know this. Yeah. But it is very rare for a person to testify at their own trial. Most people do not do that. No, I, I know that. Oh, look at you. I didn't know that. So finally, on the eighth day of the trial, Marjorie got up on the witness stand to tell her story. She spoke for five and a half hours with her greasy black hair stuck to the sides of her face. And she said oh. really compelling things like, well, that's a stupid question. Or if this is the kind of evidence you have against me, this is a pitiful case. She yelled, oh boy. she cried, she refused to listen the 50 times the judge tried to cut her off. And she said, I never met Brian Wells, and I never knew Brian Wells. Never. I became aware of him the day that he died. I saw it on the news. Wait, what? But, so she's saying she had no idea who Brian Wells was mm, until she yeah. saw him blow except up Except she was like news. at all these places. Yeah. Except, no, you were driving. Total coincidence. I have no idea why I was there. But her testimony did actually seem to help her. Most people thought it was crazy putting her on the stand. But when she broke down in tears talking about her childhood and how abuse and how abusive it was, it really seemed to make headway with the jury. But not enough headway. The trial lasted 10 days and the jury deliberated for 11 hours before returning guilty on all three charges. Armed bank robbery in which a death resulted conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, and using a destructive device in a crime of violence. Marjorie turned to her lawyer and said, you didn't do your job. <laughs> and then she turned to the gallery and said, there will be an appeal. And Marjorie still insists that she was completely innocent of this crime, that she was totally framed by Bill Rothstein. Well, I'm sure her testimony helped too, because I think it probably, like you said, I'm sure the... Like, people are like, she's unwell. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's unstable. It didn't end up helping her in any way, though. 
Right. But I mean, like, you would think, like, I think people would feel like, oh, my God, she's yeah, cuckoo. Yeah. Sentencing was scheduled for February 20th, and the judge addressed the courtroom before the sentencing trial began. And he said, this defendant has a long history of mental illness, but there are people with these same conditions that do not solicit others to kill their father or seal a man's fate by strapping a ticking bomb to his neck. It is worth noting that Marjorie was an excellent student who graduated 12 out of 413 students in her graduating class. <laughs> she went on to obtain a bachelor's degree that that in. in sociology and a master's degree in education. I know. So random. Marjorie was sentenced to life. She kept saying she was number one. I know. She was she 12. She kept saying she was I top in her She was 12 out of 413. I'm like, all right. I mean, that's good, but that's not genius. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a yeah. genius. Anyways. She was sentenced to life plus 30, and she was really quiet as she was taken out of the courtroom. She has continued to insist that she's innocent and how horrible it is that she's the only one being held responsible for this. Floyd Stockton, who put the collar bomb on Wells, is now living free after serving his sentence for the rape charge. He's married and living in Washington state. And Ken Barnes likes being in prison because he's finally off drugs and he knows that he'd be dead by now if he was out. So he doesn't mind being cut off from society. But this whole thing was so unsatisfying to so many people. No one felt like they got the answers they were looking for during this trial. The case is closed. People have been charged, so it's a cleared case. But no one believes the entire story was ever actually revealed. And the question right, uh, still same. on everybody's mind. What was Brian Wells's culpability? Was he played? Was he just a completely duped pizza delivery guy? Or was he an active participant? Few people believe that he was totally duped. No one really knows fully what his involvement was. Marjorie died of cancer in 2017. She's buried in an unmarked grave. And everyone thought the answers all died with her. But then. Until? Long yes, after the trial yes. was over. Jessica Hoopsick was ready to talk. She yes, said. girl. Marge thinks she's so smart. Well, I'm smart, too. And she had something important to say. Oh, no. And she said, Brian Wells, and this is all in the documentary. So the documentary tracked her down. This, this interview is in the documentary. She said Brian Wells was completely innocent. She said Brian was not just a client of hers. He was a good friend. He'd even been introduced to her oh, family. No. He'd take her to appointments when she needed a ride. And she said he was just a really good guy. And she's been hesitant to tell her story because she regrets what she did. But she needs to now because she wants people to know that Brian was innocent. She said she walked into Ken Barnes's house and he was talking to a couple of friends about a plan to rob a bank. She said Barnes asked her to find someone to rob the bank for them. Someone who they could scare into doing this that wouldn't run or call the cops. They said it wouldn't be real. Just a scare tactic to scare him into going to rob the bank. They offered her $5,000. She was high for three days when she called when she called Barnes and asked if he would give her more drugs if she gave him a name. Barnes gave her the drugs, and she gave Barnes Brian's name. She said he was a pushover. They could use him. No problem. Mm. They asked for his work schedule, and the next day, Marjorie gave her $1,500. She said she does not believe that Brian was at this pre-robbery meeting that Stockton and Barnes said he was at because she says that he was with her the day before the robbery until 2.30, and then he had to work at 4. So she doesn't think that he was there at that meeting. Jess. 
Hello. I know. This is now all of your fault. <laughs> I know. She says she has a lot of remorse and shame and guilt. She says he had no parts in planning, <sighs> no idea what was going to happen to him. Ken Barnes insisted that Jessica was lying, but his story started to fall apart. He originally said Marjorie, him, and Bill were eating pizza, and Brian was standing around waiting to get paid for the pizza. So Trey, the guy who made the Evil Genius documentary, he's like, why was Brian Wells standing around waiting to get paid if he knew he was there for a robbery? And Barnes was kind of started to backtrack and said, oh, well, Brian didn't know it was that day. Like, they hadn't told him. They tricked him into coming out there. And then... Wouldn't that be in the pre-planning meeting? I feel like the first well, yeah, because point on then the agenda in a meeting. Ken said he'd never seen Brian and there was no day before meeting. Yeah. Marjorie insists that Brian was a co-conspirator. And when there's a co-conspirator, you can't get the death penalty. But she also insists she didn't have anything to do with the crime. And she would insist that for the rest of her life. She knows exactly mm. who wrote those hostage notes. She knows exactly who decided to make the bomb live and who the mastermind really was, the person ultimately responsible for Brian Wells's death. So I found this interesting. A retired FBI criminal investigator named Jim Fisher became obsessed with this case. And this was all in the Wired article. He's got a thing for unsolved crimes, and he started closely tracking it, just studying every piece of evidence released by the FBI. And according to him... There is no way that Marjorie Deal Armstrong planned the collar bomb heist. Hmm. Fisher says the proof is in the FBI's own profile of the collar bomber. The profile says it continues to be the opinion of the FBI that this is much more than a mere bank robbery. The behavior seen in this crime was choreographed. The collar bomber watching on the sidelines, according to a written script and which he attempted to direct others to do what he wanted them to do. Because of the complex nature of this crime, the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit believes there were multiple motives for the offender and money was not the primary one. The whole point, according to the FBI, was not the robbery, it was the puzzle. They wanted to craft a puzzle so baffling that t 17 years later, two girls on a podcast would still be sitting here trying to figure it out. I just don't understand the puzzle. I don't understand the point of this. Right. So Fisher says that that, that profile does not sound like Marjorie, who prosecutors say planned the whole thing so that she could get money to pay a hitman. Which I don't believe, because like I said, money obviously was not the reason. If she wanted money to hire a hitman, like I said, she would have had him get the money and get out of Dodge. She would not have yeah. planned this whole scavenger hunt. But what if Mar but if Marjorie didn't do it, who did? The profile also says the bomb builder was comfortable around a wide variety of power tools and shop machines. He was a frugal person who saves up scraps of sundry materials in order to reuse them in various projects. And he was the type of person who takes pride in building a variety of things. And to Fisher, that sounded exactly like Bill Rothstein, who was yeah. a handyman with the skills to make this complicated bomb. I kind of forgot about him. And I think without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, I think Bill Rothstein built the bomb and wrote the notes. I don't know whose idea it was. I could go back and forth on Bill and Marjorie all day long. But I think 100% Bill built the bomb. But isn't that the most important? Like, who... 
oh, whose idea was this? Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I do think that's the most important part. And that's the part I don't know. Well, I'm still stuck on whether or not Brian Wells, like, knew what was happening. Until you started telling me whoever's story, I think it was Ken, or I don't know, the indictment. You started reading the indictment. I'm like, wait, yes, all of this makes sense. He had no idea, like. The indictment said that he was a co-conspirator and that he was involved. No. Jessica what were you reading? is the one saying that he's not involved, that I gave his name up to Ken Barnes for drugs in exchange for drugs. So I don't know what I think about Jessica. I think that she has a reason to lie. Her and Brian were very close. But on the other hand, I just find it really hard to believe that he didn't know anything about it. And I kind of go back to his behavior in the bank. He's so calm. If he really was totally duped, if he was totally duped, if he really did show up there thinking he was delivering a pizza, the bomb collar got thrown on him. He thinks it's a live bomb. He goes to the bank. Why is he not more terrified? Why is he why isn't he panicked when he doesn't get the full 250? Why is he grabbing a dum-dum? And I read somewhere some theory that somebody had online was that that's how his anxiety manifested like he had to be doing something with his hands and that's why he grabbed this dum-dum as he walked out of the bank and I could see that sure but why is he sticking with the story of the black man grabbed him why isn't he telling police exactly what happened when they get him yeah when that thing starts beeping and everyone starts backing away from me I am hollering with a capital H for people to come get this thing off me. And I am, just like you said, spouting out names, telling them where they're hiding. This girl's taking off right now in this gold car. Go get her. Yeah. Like, Because even no. if he didn't know who Marjorie was, so he couldn't give them Marjorie's name, even if he didn't know who Bill Rossi was, he knew Ken Barnes. And Ken Barnes admitted to being there at the transmission tower. He could have said, mm-hmm. ask Ken Barnes. He knows exactly who did this and what happened to me. But then again, even if he said that, we wouldn't have any answers. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very frustrating. So, okay. To Fisher, it all sounds exactly like Bill Rothstein. He was a handyman with the skills to match this complicated bomb. He said that Rothstein called 911 because he knew that if he didn't, Marjorie or one of the other co-conspirators would have. He said he told the police everything he knew about Rodin's murder, all while claiming complete ignorance of the collar bomb plot. And even until his dying day, he never admitted that he was involved, which Fisher says is Rothstein controlling the narrative. Fisher says that Rothstein wanted to prove his brilliance because he never accomplished anything in his life. He wanted to come up with a scheme that would make headlines around the world and stump investigators. So he recruited co-conspirators that he knew he could control, and he kept back crucial details from them, which further complicated the investigation because nobody knew everything. And Fisher said that son of a bitch ended up winning. He died with all his secrets, and he died taking all the answers with them. So he got the last laugh in that sense. I don't know. I mean... It's just all, it doesn't matter which theory you tell me, there's just so many characters in this one, it all feels far-fetched. Like, none of it seems like, oh, this would make 100% sense and would have everyone at play. Like, I don't feel like there's a definite explanation. Yeah. 
Fisher said Rothstein left us with all these idiots and a bunch of questions. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I feel, yeah. and I'm pissed about it. But here's what – so here's what I think happened. This is my theory that of what okay. I think happened. Take it to the bank. I mean, not literally. I, <laughs> not with a Don't bomb. do that. I agree with Fisher that Bill Rothstein was the mastermind behind the whole thing. I think he came up with it. I think he wrote the notes. I, oh, my God. I can't believe I left this out. <gasps> I must have deleted this. Read it. Hurry before my AirPods die. Okay. So they had the notes, right? That they, these notes, the notes. The nine-page letter? The no, nine like the letter. scavenger oh, the, hunt oh. notes. Yeah. The clues. Yes. That were traced from a typewriter, right? Yes. On the back of those notes, they found an imprint as if somebody had like – written on top of on another piece of paper on top of it they'd like written something down and that handwriting matched bill rostings what the hell you can't wait okay. i don't know how i missed that i don't know how i i deleted that from my script okay but that literally would have like clued me in to him being yes. like you can't leave that out and then i yeah <laughs> sorry yeah so <laughs> yes well, that's why I was like, wait, that's like part of why I think this. And uh, I know, because I was I like, I don't it. really feel that. Like, I, I guess <laughs> maybe, but. Right. So that's why I, that's part of the reason why I think that. But I also think that because he is he obviously built the bomb. He's the one with the skills. He's the one with the tools. Yeah. That's the part where I was like, OK. And no one just stores a dead body in their freezer either, just like for someone else. No. And if you want to tell me that this woman had her clutches in him to where he would do whatever she wanted, tell me that. I do think – I am telling you that. You're not scared of her? I, I'm not. Like you wouldn't be a little freaked out if she was like, you need to do what I say. Uh, this guy yeah. is not scared of her. Okay? He's not scared of her. So I think that Marjorie, that he got Marjorie involved. I definitely think Marjorie was involved in this heist. Yeah. I don't really know if I believe she wanted the money to have her father killed. I really don't think that she did that because I kind of agree with her that she would have just done it herself. And she certainly yeah. wouldn't be spending a quarter of a million on it. It's not like Ken Barnes is a professional hitman. He's a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. I think Marjorie pulled Ken Barnes into it, and I think Rothstein pulled Stockton into it. I think Barnes knew Jessica, and I Jessica knew Brian Wells, and she introduced them. And I think I think Jessica's lying. I think I think Brian was in on it. I don't know though. Ugh. I guess the moral of the story is I really have no idea. The FBI seemed pretty convinced that Brian was at this pre-planning meeting. But a lot of the witnesses, like Ken Barnes and Floyd Stockton, they have a huge reason to lie about Brian's involvement. Because you can't charge co-conspirators with murder. Well, and don't you think one of them would have said, like, we got this Brian guy from Jessica, this girl? Like, wouldn't someone have said where he, I don't know, like where he came from? That we got his name from. They all said, yeah, they all said they didn't know how he was recruited, how or when or right. where or why. But Brian is connected to Ken. He's not, they couldn't find a single connection between him and Marjorie. The most likely connection is through Ken, which is through Jessica. Right. So I don't know why Ken, and Ken is still alive. So Ken, if you would like to clear some of this up, like, I'd appreciate it. You seem to like it there in prison. Like, 
what's wrong with being charged with Brian's murder? You just stay there. Yeah. I think Jessica yeah. maybe is trying to like get herself in so she can kick her drug habit and have somewhere to stay, maybe. Maybe that's her. Yeah, maybe. It was hard to tell how she was doing. She kind of seemed like she was doing good, but then, I don't know. It was hard to tell. Um, But that, that is the story of the collarbone heist. I don't feel like I know any more information than when I started. (laughs) I can't believe you just left out one of the major clues of this whole thing about the main suspect. And you're like, oh, by the way. Arno, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I did that. I must have deleted it because I was doing so much like flip flopping around. I know. I it's what so... if there was like other people that we just don't even know about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what if there's like two other people that? No, I don't think there's anybody else. Okay, and so then another thing is we are going to post a picture of Mogab's dog, <laughs> Burks. <laughs> Also known as Burks. Chowder. Also Chowder. known as Chow Chow. Chow Chow. Also known as Burks Leon or BL. Did the people want to see BL? Well, his debut. Uh, no, I need probably, obviously. Everybody wants to see BL. I need the people to vote on what they think the DNA test is going to come back. Yeah. Is true investigators our first DNA? Yeah. Test when do you get it back? Is- it says two to four weeks. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to get feedback and hear what you guys think about this episode. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Creepers Pod, or you can email us case suggestions or your thoughts on the case at creeperspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much. If you have left a review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, you are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It really means a lot to us. It's really one of the only ways we can grow this podcast. So if you liked this episode, please consider taking a minute and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We would love it. And make sure to join us next week when I will tell Mogab all about the Blue-Eyed Butcher. Bye, peeps and creeps.